Hey everyone, Nick here. You're about to hear a conversation I had with Mark Cuban at the recent One Confirmation LP Day. You probably know him from Shark Tank or as Dallas Mavericks owner or as the billionaire the media likes to write about for clickbait. I know him as a friend who helped me get my business off the ground in 2017 as one of our first investors. And I see him as an incredibly positive force in the world. So it was a lot of fun chatting with him about another incredibly positive force in the world, cryptocurrency. I hope you enjoy it and learn a thing or two. I haven't had a haircut in three months because of NBA protocol. So I'm more than happy to do only um, audio. <laughs> now, I think people want to see you. Hopefully we can get the, the video. Nobody wants to see my ugly ass. <laughs> All right, we can start. We're having a little bit of a technical difficulty here, but how are you, man? What's going on? Good, good, good. You know, just watching my hair grow, trying to let get the Mavs get a win and trying to, you know, have fun with all the crypto stuff. Yeah, yeah. You've been diving in deep. We've been talking a little bit more lately. It's good to see some of your, your posts and content. Crypto Twitter is, is really enjoying it. There he is. There's the video. <laughs> Pretty soon I'm going to be there in man bun territory. Nice. What do you mean NBA protocol? You can't get a haircut? In the games, if I'm going to be one of the people who's allowed to travel with the team, I have to quarantine in my house and uh-huh. only go to certain places that have been approved. Okay. And the players, um, same thing. And when they're on the road, um, they have to stay in their hotel room, except for very specific circumstances and to go to the game. It's brutal. Okay. Absolutely brutal. That's a bummer. Well, that kind of ties me to you know, the first thing I wanted to talk about feels to me, and I think a lot of people uh, on the internet right now, the internet culture seems to be colliding with real world culture uh, in different ways. And, and in some cases, overtaking it, right? I think Wall Street bets uh, taking down a big hedge fund, uh, you know, a good recent example of that. And some people look at it and say, well, coronavirus, everyone is cooped up, you know, behind their computers. And when that gets better, things are going back to normal. I'm curious what you think as someone that's, you know, a student of the internet, you clearly see what's going on, but also you have a big presence in the real world. Yeah. I mean, I think the pandemic had a lot to do with the acceleration, but it's not going back. And what it was, wasn't necessarily normal. It's just what it was. You know, I think um, cryptos had an impact on culture um, more and that's been growing and it's not, it's no longer just about Bitcoin. Bitcoin was really the only story and, what was the price of Bitcoin was the driving um, topic all the time. But, you know, what we've seen over the past through the summer, really with DeFi and other things as, you know, NFT and top shots and, you know, unique blockchains, you know, we're finally now seeing applications that the consumers are getting their arms around. It wasn't like Crypto Kitties was here for six minutes and then it was gone. You know, now it's you're seeing one thing after the other and, with DeFi creating money-making opportunities for those people sitting at home without jobs and a place to use their stimulus checks, you know, I think that's kind of changed the game. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Well, we're going to get into the crypto. So I want to ask one more question just about kind of internet culture and, and your engagement, which I find really interesting. You know, we're seeing this trend now of billionaires has become a, a derogatory term and most people of your stature, right, are either staying off the internet or getting memed off the internet, right? We saw what happened with Steve Cohen last week. And right. it seems like you more than really anyone in the world can connect with people on the internet in a positive way. I feel like this could be an important trend over the next 10 years of this, you know, tension between haves and have nots. And I'm wondering if there's some, some insights you have or, or something you could share about how you're able to do that. I was broke for a long time. 
<laughs> you know, that's what it comes down to, you know, and, you know, I still got my, you know, you know, when you, when you make a lot of money initially, people always think you're going to change, right? And your family acts different. They don't know how to re react to you. Your friends don't know how to react. And then eventually they realized I was just the same dickhead I always was, right? And the size of my bank account, I've, I've never really let define me. I, I mean, I've let it create opportunities. And so if people want to fuck with me online, whether it was, you know, in 2000 when, you know, or in the mid 90s when message boards, but let me even go further back in the 80s when there were CompuServe and Prodigy message boards and AOL and UUNet for all the old timers out there, right? And I was the young kid, just like people are getting on Wall Street bets, talking down the man, right? I was fucking with everybody back then. Then we got to AOL and Prodigy and I was fucking with people there. Then we got to the Yahoo message boards and I was fucking with people there. There's just, you know, and then I bought into the NBA and I was fucking with people there. Then I got on media and I was fucking with people there, right? It's just, you know, I've, I'm just who I am. And, you know, I like to challenge and I like to be challenged, right? So when I go out there, it's not so much for me to say, okay, here, I'm right and you're wrong. It's like, like if you read my blog post, blog posts. I always, you know, almost always end it with, well, tell me your thoughts, right? Am I right or wrong? Because, you know, I learn by people questioning me. And, and so, you know, I enjoy it. I enjoy the competitive side of being right versus wrong, you know, and I like to learn. And by doing all those things, it, it makes me a better entrepreneur. That makes a lot of sense. I think, uh, <laughs> I think a lot of people in crypto can relate to a lot of that, right? Because, um, you know, crypto... <laughs> started as, um, you know, this very grassroots thing that, um, you know, was just internet native and people on message boards, um, you know, believing in this thing. And, you know, we're now seeing uh, the belief grow, uh, but it is very much kind of this people led movement, right? And my whole, you probably remember, uh, I don't know if you remember when we uh, met in Vegas, uh, you know, the first time when, uh, you know, I told you kind of, my, my view uh, on the world and kind of this idea that the, the big trend here is this shift in power from institutions to people. And uh, so do you, uh, and, and it feels like it's happening. Do you, do you see that? Well, look, look, you went to Ethereum, right? Mm -hmm. You went to something that had, as opposed to, and you, you fought the trend on, block tr on um, Bitcoin, mm -hmm. right? Everybody was Bitcoin at that time. And you went in a different direction. And I'm sure you got a lot of shit for that. A lot of people questioned you as well. And, and you're turning out to be right. And, you know, going back to 2012, I remember getting into arguments with people um, about, you know, that people would tell me I didn't get it because I was like, blockchain's great. Look, I wrote database applications in my first company. I wrote distributed database applications. I was a systems integrator that wrote software. And I you know, did stuff with Lotus Notes, which with replication, which was one of the first distributed databases, you know, that didn't that where you replicated everything and et cetera, et cetera. But in any event, um, and so when Bitcoin came out, you know, I saw the value of blockchain and just, you know, the decentralization of blockchain and the lack of ownership and the value there. Right. But everybody was talking about Bitcoin as a currency and there was no way it was going to be a currency. Right. In my mind. And that's where I always had these big disagreements. And even up until recently, you know, when I talked about the utility of gold, the utility of Bitcoin and bananas, I'd rather have bananas because there's more utility. I didn't say value. I said, utility. <laughs> I can eat a banana. 
And, um, and, and so I like the shit I get about that. So the media, um, I mean, the media loves to write about Mark Cuban and Bitcoin, right? It's the, it's the best way to go viral. He loves but, it. He hates yeah, it. Yeah, it's not even so much what I say. It's just the fact they know me because of Shark Tank and they want something with it, with it right? Yeah. And, you know, the whole bananas thing, I knew I would get shit for it, but it was fun. Um, but, you know, the underpinning of that was Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Cryptocurrencies is a misnomer and it always has been. You know, they're crypto assets. Yep. Crypto assets have more utility than others. And what's changed, particularly since the summer um, or spring, I guess you can say, is that utility is starting to become evident and that's starting to pay dividends to a lot of people who are able to understand it via DeFi, right? And that's that's the one, you know, with all the yield farming and everything and all the new tokens, it's like the early days of the internet where people are just throwing out URLs and businesses and, you know, let's see what sticks. and you know, the stock prices were going up and some were actually even, you know, doing good business. Um, it's very comparable because people are still trying to figure it all out, right? All the different tokens, all the different um, applications. And so to me, that's, that's what's really changed, you know, and that's where, that's why you've seen me get active recently, whereas before I didn't. And, you know, I, I still don't believe that this is an alternative, whether it's Bitcoin, Ethereum or any of them, is an alternative to fiat right? Fiat's, you know, not going away for any time soon. I don't see it as a currency. I don't see it as a hedge any more than gold, you know? So there's a certain religious aspect of Bitcoin to your point about believing, but now you're starting, Bitcoin is getting derivative utility because of what's happening with wrapping and, you know, enabling it for DeFi and, and collateralization and pooling and all these things. And that is truly changing the game. And now we're to the point like the early internet where we can start talking about applications that truly change finance for and sure. truly democratize things for, for everybody. For sure. I think when we met, you think I said, you know, Bitcoin is fuck the fed and Ethereum is fuck the sec. Right. <laughs> and, and, and now I think it's, it's, it's more, Ethereum is more fuck the banking system. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, because I'm, I'm working on things now and other applications like right now where you know, we're trying to um, collateralize Ave to use it as collateral for a deal in Portugal, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they wanted to, some collateralization and it's far easier to do that than it is to get a line of credit to deal with that bank. Yeah, you should talk to MakerDAO too. We've got Rune from Maker jumping on later and they're, they're doing something similar, this idea of collateralizing real world assets. Everybody's trying to tokenize everything right now. You know, and real estate's the first starting point because, it, you know, it typically doesn't go down in value. You know, or when it does, it's rare, right? And so it's much easier to collateralize, assuming that you're, you own whatever it is fully and clearly, right? There's no opposing mortgage. So, I, I mean, everybody's going to try to, to tokenize everything. Yep. Everything. And that's going to be part of the rush that, you know, 95%, 99% of them are going to fail at because it's expensive. Well, yeah, my view, I, I think we've talked about this, but we've, we, there's, there was a wave in 2017 too of security tokens, right? Mm -hmm. And people saw the ICO mania and they said, look, we've got real world assets. Let's tap into them, right? Um, and that didn't work because the crypto, crypto people don't want real world assets, right? They want internet native assets and they want innovation. And so I think at some point that stuff will work, but uh, really the... the, the um, you know, the most interest and excitement and, and growth in, in our portfolio right now is 
not as much the uh, real world assets, but these new crypto native assets, right? Which I know you've been paying attention to more uh, things like, uh, you know, super rare uh, digital art or, um, you know, crypto kitties. Um, all, yeah, top shot, all of them. So yeah. that's, I, I'm, um, I think in the long term, it's like, you know, maybe everything will be, you know, all real world assets will be on a blockchain, but our view for the next, uh, you know, couple of years, the stuff that's going to be most successful is, is probably going to be this new crypto native stuff, right? Yeah, no question about it. I mean, because kids growing up today are digital native, right? And they're also crypto native, you know, look along, you know, um, Bitcoin has been around and, you know, Ethereum is, is now been around, you know, a long time, relatively speaking as well. And, and so, you know, kids value digital items more than they value analog items. And that's, you know, when I say kids, Gen Z now, which is into their 20s, you know, and maybe younger millennials, this is all normal to them. You know, when they grew up, you know, you're, you, they weren't thinking about CDs, you know, and, and even though that's digital, but they weren't thinking about those physical devices. They were thinking about, you know, downloadable music. How much music can I store, right? What can I, how much video can I store? Everything that I touch on social media is digital, right? Even, you know, the brands that I look for, it, you know, I value them based off of their digital presence and, you know, who's wearing them on Instagram, not what's happening in real life. And real life is, you know, you're locked in a room right now. And so you're, you know, that, that digital valuation is accelerating even more. And so I think you're right in that, you know, whether it's digital art, whether it's digital trading, whatever, um, car moments, whatever it may be, um, anything that you can create digitally. Now, the big question becomes digital assets that have been, set, been sold in traditional me methods like music, right? What happens there? Because how are they going to, you know, music, once you start getting artists making their um, content available, or even movies for that matter, making their content available online, their new music online, and they're able to, you know, to sell it in a marketplace and continue to make um a percentage every time it's resold, right? Yeah. You know, Katie barred the door. Yeah. I mean, for the longest time, you could buy, you know, used movies, used DVDs and used CDs and used LPs, right? You could buy used anything. Um, and the, the originator, never, the creator never got any anything right. for it, right. right? Just the idea now, like when I put the stuff online on Rarible, um, and it, or, you know, whether it was Rarible, Mintable, you know, and it was on OpenSea, right? Um, and I got to get, keep on getting paid every time it sold as the price went up. Yeah. I mean, that was like, oh, my God. The, I have seen the future, and it yeah. is it, all things digital because that changes the motivation of every creator of everything digital because for the first time ever, they can keep on getting paid forever. For sure. Forever. And so it's not so much about the number of people who see my, um, hear my music or see my video, but I mean, imagine if you put something on OpenSea and it's, you know, a one of a kind and you let everybody buy it. Well, I guess you could, you know, or you, OpenSea's not there yet. You guys hopefully will be there. But we're there, yeah, we're there. Yeah, we, we're there. <laughs> so, you know, so let's say it's on Rarible or Mintable and then I yeah. do, you know, 5 million copies of this MP3, mm -hmm. right? And I price them all at a quarter, right? Or 50 cents. It doesn't, you know, that's fine, right? Yeah. So now I'm making a million dollars when those two, two million units sold. And I'm fine with everybody selling it. And, you know, 
if the the radio station wants to play it, they got to at least buy one, right? Mm -hmm. If you know, whoever wants to use it, they've got to buy one. And it's the same, instead of putting it on YouTube to get my millions of views, because, you know, maybe I care if it goes to Spotify, maybe I don't. You know, maybe I come up with a second one that says, okay, this is the commercial version and I'm only going to sell it to commercial users and there's only a hundred of them and they're $25,000 a piece. And in order to pay it on, play it on your radio station, you will, you know, you have to buy this version. Right. Bam. Right. It's a whole different game. And same with YouTube videos, same with podcasts, same with everything, because the, you know, the things that we value the most, you know, other than our homes, you know, that, that we own, the things that we own that we value the most other than maybe homes and cars um, and some, you know, some jewelry or whatever um, is digital. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I feel that. I feel, I mean, even in the past week or so we're here, you know, super rare and open sea, we're hearing from uh, musicians and, you know, the, the culture is coming, right. Especially the, the music is an interesting one because um, you know, musicians that rely on shows right got have been hit really hard in the last year right so they need uh new business models and um this is it 100 percent like for us the tickets at the maverick tickets effectively are digital right you might have a physical ticket but the scanning and everything that that's falling out of favor and so for me to do tickets now i can make money on the resale market bam right you know and i have complete control of it you know creating digital everything all the highlights that we do creating tokens to you know to incent people to do different things it's just the game has changed and that's why you've seen me get so into it now there's a lot there's still a lot of bullshit and there's still a lot of entrepreneurial uncertainty like who's who are the winners going to be You know, private blockchains like Flow, open block, you know, even though they say they're open source, but, you know, open, more open blockchains, yeah. you know, tracks or whatever, you know. For sure. Know. And we've talked about this a little bit, too, that, you know, I think it's still early for consumerization, right? It's like it's th- these products are crypto native and the crypto people uh, can understand MetaMask and can, you know, and, and is right. OK paying the fees, right? But for for RLP day today, we we actually use OpenSea. We minted a uh, a uh, piece of digital art that we commissioned from an artist we like uh, named Spend. And um, you know, we tried Everybody to get Spend, <laughs> <laughs> and we tried to uh, you know we tried to get more people, more of our LPs kind of involved. I think a, a few of them set up MetaMask and kind of you know. Yeah, Right, but that's part of the goal, right? Whoever wins that battle wins. Yep. It's almost like the early days of the internet when there was mul- there were multiple browsers and then Netscape came along. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and Andreessen did Netscape and it was over. The game had changed. There yep. will be that Netscape moment. It's like when we were at um, started AudioNet, there was no streaming. And everybody told us we were crazy, right? Oh, you're going to be able to listen to any radio station from anywhere in the world on your PC. Bro, I'll just turn on my radio. I got what I want. No, then you're going to be able to watch any movie, anytime, anywhere, any TV station, any game. Bro, I'll just turn on my television. Have you not seen cable? I can get shit from anywhere. There's too much on. I can't even watch it. And back then you had to download, um, you had to have a modem, 56K modem. Think about that. And you had to download TCP IP client. And then you had to download um, an audio or video player. And then you had to have, you know, bandwidth, which coming from a modem, or if you were corporate, 
you know, where most of our, our volume was, you know, you had to have a, um, a, a way through the firewalls at the corporations, all that hassle and people still did it. And it's analogous to the wallets right now, all that hassle and, and millions of people are still doing it. That's but, a good sign, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and it is a good sign, but now we've got to, you know, the applications that will have the greatest impact and be the winners are the ones who simplify that the most. Mm -hmm. So MetaMask, look, it's hard to understand what wallets you have and what accounts, you know, how many accounts within a wallet. And you just use this wallet because that's what they wanted first. Then you use this wallet. And I had, you know, and then there's other issues. Anybody can send you anything once they find out your, your address, right? Yeah, you and you got scammed a bunch your address, right? What's that? Your, your address got spammed a bunch, a bunch of scams. Yeah, but even so now, if you have an Ether name, right, or whatever they call it, an uh, Ether DNS address, right, or ENS address, yeah. and you put it up and it's mark.eth, bam, everybody's going to crush you. And so now you've got the choice. Do I, you know, cut and paste all the time or, you know, and so there's got to be some mechanisms there that prevent that. You know, no, I don't want your naked picture of your old ass sent to me on Rarible, right? And, yeah. and so... You know, I want to be able to deny that instead of just seeing it show up. And no, I don't want, you know, somebody, you know, sent me a fucked up um, ETH address, you know, that I'm not even say what it said. Right. And now all of a sudden it's got my address associated with it. Right. And so, you know, you've got to just all the shit you got to do to try to deal with that. So we're still in that learning phase and things have got to happen and, and adaptation mm -hmm. has to happen as well. The other thing is fees. I don't know if you've dealt with fees and transactions, right? It's, but you, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It is. Oh yeah. Let me, let me transfer this. Yo, I'm just going to send, you know, one ether over here so I can cover the cost of that. And then just to send it is, you know, this, or I was looking to do something today that was minor and it was going to be $57. Yep. Yeah. You know, it, it costs us 17. We sent out, uh, you know, these NFTs to all our LPs. It cost us, $17 a piece to send, you know, these crazy. To, you Where know. does that money go? It goes. Okay. So this is actually a, a good segue because, you know, um, right now, one thing that we're seeing happen, and I talked about this a little earlier is Bitcoin is being adopted by institutions, right? Um, and you're seeing value, not for anything else, just as a store exactly. of value. Exactly, but you're seeing institutions put it on their balance sheet, right? So Square is buying 50 million of Bitcoin. Right. Yeah, uh, and these companies. Um, Market strategy, yeah. And you're seeing, uh, you know, you're seeing pe big, pe you know, Elon and uh, these people putting Bitcoin in their uh, bio, right? And it's a really powerful meme, right? And it's very simple. It's and in a world where uh, memes spread like wildfire, right? Like Bitcoin, I think is just the best meme right now. And I think it's there, right? It's like gold, right? Why is gold valuable? Because people you know, believe it has value. It's a religion. Yep. And as long as people believe it in its value, right? You know, look, if the world came to the hell, world, if, if the country went to the hell in a handbasket, right? And fiat was gone. Ain't nobody carrying around a gold bar. They're going to beat you over the head and take your gold bar. And it's still going to be useless. I'd rather have bananas, right? Yep. And so... You know, and it's the same with Bitcoin. Yep. You know, it's not an it's not a hedge against anything. You know, it's not an alternative to fiat. It's a store of value, and it's what what for some would pay would pay for it. And that's not a bad thing, right? That's a good thing. You know, I mean, that's what money is. What you know, just what people believe is, is worth value. It has value. Um, but at the same time, I don't. You know, I think it's going to continue to grow. Yep. And 
because everybody has put their focus on it and believes in it and is not trying to transact in it. And you have that plus the fact that now you can wrap it, right? And use it in DeFi and you get kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so to, to finish the, uh, my point though, and you, you asked the question, a good one, you know, where do those fees go, right? Yeah. Sorry. So right now the, the fees on Ethereum go to the miners, right? So the miners in the network are, um, you know, are, are validating transactions and, um, you know, they're getting block rewards and also getting the fees on the network. But there's a important change coming to Ethereum, which is called EIP 1559. Right. And when that happens, the fees actually get burnt. Um, so there's a scenario, this is- uh, you But know, when you say get burnt, what does that mean? They, they go away, they, they, they're uh, removed from the supply, right? So there's um, the, the, the so it's costless. The transactions will be costless, or you still pay. You still pay, but the, the fees are burnt. So the, the supply. There's a scenario in the future. Oh, where, okay. So you're saying the fees are burnt. So if I pay a half Ethereum, right, then it just I pay it, and it's burnt to reduce the the quantity of exactly, exactly. Right? And so. Right now, you know, Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin is this has a good narrative. It's a, it's a yeah, twenty one million. Yeah. Uh, it's very strong, and I, and you know, I'm a big believer in Bitcoin too. By the way, it's not I'm, we're not tribal at all. But um, but Ethereum, I think it's kind of unappreciated right now that Ethereum has all the usage. So there's way more happening on Ethereum, right? That's obvious. Now you see the price now, right? Now the price is going up because people yep. need to buy Ethereum in one manner or another just to do all these transactions. Yep. Yep. But Bitcoin has the scarcity narrative, right? So there's 21 million Bitcoin. And the, one of the things about Ethereum is that the, the, the money supply um, is still kind of up in the air, right? And um, it's not set in stone. And, you know, there's this narrative that there's infinite supply, right? So, you know, it'll keep being... It's like Dogecoin, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, what's coming with, with ETH 2.0, the monetary... The, the monetary policy is going to be uh, cemented and EIP 1559 is coming to burn transaction fees. So there's a scenario in the future where- uh, so What will it be cemented at? When and what? So there'll be a, 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 a uh, I could be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure it's uh, three, it, there'll be a 3% uh, inflation rate, right? Uh, it, uh, infinitely. But that'll be offset by the fees that are burnt. So there's actually a scenario where the inflation on ETH, if it keeps being widely used, um, is negative. And ETH becomes more scarce than Bitcoin. Yeah. And how many are outstanding on Ethereum right now? Like 114 million? Did I read? Do I Something remember? like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that, that's a five, five, six X, seven X, right? And so we're not there yet. So a lot of people like to, to gauge it, relatively speaking, right? The ratio. Yep. And so yep. 1,600 or whatever it was today um, versus, you know, one versus 20 versus the... the so it, it's interesting. And, and utilization, and I think that has a lot to do. People are starting to do that math mm -hmm. and realize that, you know, even if you you take a percentage and, and burn that, you know, um, to create the ratio... It's still interesting, but the question becomes why the 3% um, inflationary? Um, that was determined by uh, the community, right? So I think that's just um, okay. something that, you know, the community uh, kind of agreed on. And, um, you know, so 
It, it's going to be interesting. Like, I, I think there's a possible scenario that's uh, under uh, appreciated right now where, uh, you know, the, 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 the narrative, the investment narrative for ETH improves a lot, right? Because right now it's just, you know, Bitcoin is this institutional narrative that people get. Ethereum is this platform for adoption. And there's still a lot of questions about ETH as a store of value and an investment, right? But, you know, we believe that there's a strong possibility that, you know, when these changes come, people are going to look and see, look, Ethereum is more widely used than Bitcoin and it's more scarce. Um, now, there's people that are going to say, well, you know, it's, it's more centralized, right? Because you have Vitalik, you have, uh, you know, a small number of people that do have a lot of power in the system. Um, and Satoshi's gone and Bitcoin is more decentralized, right? So that's another question that- yeah, that, that goes away. That's for the people, that's like the early days of the internet where people argued about different protocols, right? Yeah. You don't even know who those people are, yeah. right? They're long gone and there, there used to be tons of arguments about this or that. Um, and, but it's going to come down to simplicity. You know, who can simplify it the most and applications, right? There really aren't applications for Bitcoin you know, whenever it was in 2017, when they went to the small block size and went away from the desire to be a transactional currency, you know, and I don't know, you know, if Bitcoin Cash has any, you know, upside or any of the others do. Um, but, it'll, you know, whoever conquers, whoever becomes the Netscape of, of Ethereum or even just crypto in general is yep. going to have a lot of upside. Yep. Yep. Um yeah, so we're, I think, you know, we're always thinking of, of what's next as well. Um, you know, obviously a lot of exciting stuff happening on Ethereum, but, um, you know, just like kind of Bitcoin was first and then came along uh, Ethereum to kind of innovate on some of the ideas of Bitcoin, uh, I think there's a big question in the space now of like what comes next, right? And I think we've talked a little bit about Polkadot. One, you know, I'm, I'm curious kind of your thoughts on that, particularly related to you know, a post you wrote 15 years ago, right, about uh, governance and and whether you really own, uh, right. you know, a stock, right, which is obviously relevant in the, in the Robinhood stuff. But it, I think it's also relevant in crypto right now, because, you know, when you own Bitcoin and you own uh, ETH right now, it's kind of a, a an asset that you own as a store of value, but it doesn't give you any rights. And so, in the, might, might uh, a lot of value in the future be accrued to assets that you own that also give you voting rights, right? And that, that's the other way around. Sorry? I think, that's a, I think that's the exact wrong way that it'll go. Really? And I'll tell you why. But okay. here's what I've learned. I wrote a post 15 years ago saying the stock is nothing, less, a stock that doesn't pay, pay dividends is just like a baseball card. If you put a share stock on a desk and a baseball card on a desk 15 years from now, it's going to be worth what someone will pay for it as a collectible effectively. And, you know, back in the day, you know, if you read about the early days of the stock market, it, it basically was a, an expectation that a stock would pay a dividend, that the companies that went public were the ones that could pay dividends because they were the most successful. And the sign of success was paying a dividend. You know, that's just not the case anymore. You know, then we went to the perspective that, you know, you took your, your excess cash or available cash and you continue to invest in the company. Um, and that worked for a long time. Um, but then they stopped. There was a time up until 1982, and I just found this out recently, where stock buybacks were illegal, right? You weren't allowed to buy back your stock. That was considered market manipulation. Then after 1982, 
that changed. And so also not long after that, companies kept on issuing themselves options after option after option, inflating the number of shares outstanding. So they had to try to burn them by buying them back, right? And so now you see all these companies playing these little legal manipulation games and they don't go to your shareholders and say, what do you want us to do? They may have shareholder meetings, but they may have two classes of stock. They may have, you know, um, so many shareholders or so many shares outstanding that there's just no way for any, they don't care what the individual shareholder says. Right. Warren Buffett is the exception that proves the rule, right? He brings in his shareholders and talks to them and listens to them, um, or at least talks to them. Um, and what I've learned is that all these years, nobody complained. You know, yeah. nobody said, oh, that's horrible. We have no say as shareholders. You watch me on Shark Tank. If I buy shares of your stock, I want say in the company, right? You're going to listen to me. Yeah. And, you know, when you invest as an investor, you know, they, you, you want to have some influence in that company. If you take on investors as a private company, chances are those, those um, buyers of your equity are going to have some influence. In the public markets, we've gone away from that completely. So the reason I say I don't know that, that it, in, in the crypto ethos, having that influence is important. Mm -hmm. Right. Everybody was a DAO, right? Where everybody wants to have a say and yep. they want to be able to, to influence and vote. And I think there'll be a role for that. But I think for that big consumer play, um, that um, that there won't be a big role for it because most people just want to know that they're going to make money. They don't want to have to think about, you know, what should I vote on this or that? Mm -hmm. And so I think that that will be more prevalent. But yeah. there'll be a role for the polka dots for applications where you want those. And I'll give you a perfect example. If we were to try to cryptotize um, what happened with Wall Street bets yeah. and those companies, right? Right now, you kind of have the, the wisdom of the crowd, if you will, right? Or, or the, the, the impact of the crowd with mil potentially millions of people buying these shares of stock and moving the stock. Well, imagine whether it's Polkadot or somebody else where you over collateralize, but you had, you know, let's just say for every $200, any individual investor put in, they got $100 worth of stock because you have to be able to deal with variance in the stock price. But then everybody got a vote in what you were going to buy, you know, or you could assign your voting rights to somebody else that you trust or believe and they could aggregate them, right? And yep. make those decisions. And the group decides how often they'll vote. Yep. Right. Is it by the minute, by the hour, by the week, whatever it may be. Um, now, if Wall Street Bets had that tool available to them and it was all on the blockchain and everybody got to see and people could sell their rights into the group, you know, Polkadot and somebody like that would be a great authority for doing that. Yeah. But there will be applications that will make it work because yeah. I see that as the future five years from now, that'll be the type of conversation that'll be happening in Wall Street Bets. It might be Wall Street yep. Polkadot, right? Yep. You know, where that that's what's happening. No, for sure. I mean, I think, yeah, it's, it's interesting that, uh, yes, for so long, people, uh, you know, shareholders haven't cared, right, ab about their rights. But it does feel like there's this kind of just wave in the world of like individual empowerment. And Wall Street Bets is a good example of that. It's like, you know, these people online can can take control and have more power. And I feel like the big guy. Yeah. 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 And so, no question. There, there's going to be a sub sub segment of people who want to do that. And that, that percentage is going to grow, particularly if you can make money staying at home and particularly if there's profits in the crowd. Yep. Right? Yep. 
it's just not organized right now. And that, right. that's the point we're both making, right? So yeah. once you can organize that power, it gets even more powerful. Yeah. And, and blockchain, um, regardless of whose it is, yeah, it's going to be huge for that. Yeah. Governance, it's like people have been excited in, in crypto about governance for a while. And there's been a bunch of kind of governance projects. The one thing, though, that is kind of consistent with your point is that the engagement on voting has been very low so far. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, one interesting thing, though, about kind of Polkadot and their governance module is you, there's a council. Right. And so the council is the kind of uh, main decision-making body and the dot holders can vote in this council to make decisions right. and the council doesn't have autonomous power. So uh, the, the, if the community, uh, you know, is strongly against something that they're trying to get past, you know, it, it can't happen. No, you know, that's why I said you can assign your voting rights. Yeah, to exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, there's certainly going to be applications but that, that's like anything else. It's like going back to the internet again. There's different ways that people use the internet and it's evolved. And, you know, as new features come up and new technology is created, it'll evolve as well. There, you know, back in the day, there wasn't wireless, there weren't mobile phones, you know, it just, and then the game changed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Got it. All right, we're, we're, we're monitoring the chat box, if, you know, if anyone ha has questions, but I've, I mean, I've got a few more, we could talk all day, but I mean, one question I have, probably if people in crypto have right now, I mean, you, uh, you know, you famously, um, you know, timed the, uh, the, the bubble perfectly, right? And um, I'm curious, what gave you the conviction uh, to do that, right? Was it, yeah. Two things, one, um, after I sold my first company, I traded stocks and actually created a hedge fund that I sold within 90 days because, you know, I, I, I took my track record of trading stocks after I sold the company. And I mean, literally all the big name analysts at that point, at, at that point in time, anytime there was a question about a technology, they would call me because I had installed, you know, all the routers and bridges, you know, the wealthy, the synoptics, you know, for old timers. Um, and so I knew the products intimately. And they didn't know what they were talking about. So I was able to just crush it, crush it. Um, and I had seen hot stocks and hot categories explode and then crash. And so it, it, I didn't need to see it again. So that was one. And two, how much money did I need? You know, there were a lot of people saying, oh, yeah, you could have made this. And like right after I collared and told people I had hedged, they were like, you idiot. Yahoo stock just went up another X number of bucks. And I'm like, okay, I'll be an idiot on my G5. You guys yeah. worry about those extra dollars. I'm happy with what I have. So it's more just, you know, experience, having seen this happen before and just trying not to be greedy. As long as I had to be next to my name, I was happy as a clam. Yeah. Um, I think that's good advice for people in crypto right now, right? I think there's a lot of that. And, you know, just like uh, the, the dot-com bubble, right? I think there will be some huge long-term winners and there will be a lot of, um, it's going to be relocation. There's no question. I mean, yeah. look, again, there are a lot of companies that popped up in the, you know, 1994, 95, 96, that people thought were the surefire winners that, that bit the dust. And there were people who questioned Amazon, you know, and it went down to $5 after being up at 400 or whatever. Um, and they obviously turned around and then Yahoo was not able to. Yahoo was you know, and the difference was Jeff Bezos wasn't worried about his stock price and the Yahoo board was. Yep. Yep. Got it. Okay. Well, 
what else? What what else are you? You know, you're poking around on on crypto a lot. What what else are you interested in or curious about? Um, to me, I like the NFT space, obviously, and you know what you guys are doing with OpenSea, Rare, Mintable, etc. Um, simply because, like I said earlier, I've got digital content is what Gen Z, younger millennials value the most. And there are going to be better ways to convey that, own it, and transfer ownership and resell it and create marketplaces than we're seeing right now. And there's a lot of things that are digital. I gave the example of tickets, other than the obvious like movies and, and, and um, music and audio um, that I think will have value. I mean, every podcaster should be offering you know, a licensed version, right? You know how you convey copyright, you know, a, a limited um, conveyance of copyright for commercial use, you know, just so many different ways that, that there are to start thinking differently about how digital um, goods are created, originated and resold. Yeah. And you're more excited. We've talked a little bit about this too. You, you're more excited, it seems right now, of kind of digital goods in like a web two world of, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, 2D on Instagram and things like that versus VR, right? Totally different. Okay. So you don't know this, but I have a patent or patent pending in, in virtual reality. Um, and so I've, I've done a lot with VR. Um, and to me, like I, I had this exact same conversation with Intel a couple of years ago. Until there is a day-to-day -day use case for VR, it's going to be you know, some games that kids think are cool that they play every now and then, and some commercial applications, medical applications, which is what my patent pending's in, you know, that create a lot of value. Um, you know, so with my thing, it was for people who have damaged vestibular systems, using a VR environment to, to sanitize them and, and make them normalize them. Um, so I don't see VR being a ubiquitous type application for a long time. And it's not so much about, um, you know, the technical ability or whether it's attached to a PC or, you know, whether it's owned by Facebook or not, you know, it's more, there's just not a, a, an application that you need to use it for every day. And I tried to get Intel. And as I tried to convey that to Intel, I said, look, the best application that could get people to use it all the time is it's the best way to privately watch anything you want on Netflix or Hulu or whatever, right? You can be on a plane, you can be laying in bed next to your wife with your headphones on, and it's a great experience that's getting better and better and better. It's not great yet, but it's getting better and better and better. And my kids, like I'll do social stuff <clears throat> with my kids who are 11, 14, and 17, but they're, you know, even with their friends, they're not trying to use it every day. Yeah. It's like if someone brings it up. And so it's not a technological impediment that's keeping it, that's holding it back. You know, it's a usage case, use case application that's holding it back. Mm -hmm. And so when you talk about virtual goods to try to put it on, I forget all the different virtual um, cities and stuff like that. My life, I forget what it was called. Um, you know, a lot of them have been tried and what ends up happening is you get dominant players who try to take over the whole community. Anytime you're in an avatar type world, you know, so you get the heavy players who influence the community to the point where it, it excludes others. And it's kind of like what you've seen on Clubhouse to a certain extent. Clubhouse is exploding, but you've got the hardcores, right, who, who take ownership of it and yeah. push it to other groups. 
and that's not necessarily bad. It, it helps to grow effect in actuality, but you know, for VR, because you want it to be so personal, that, that makes it very difficult. Yeah. Yeah, you could be right. I hope you're wrong. We just, our most recent investment is in a company called Webiverse, which is uh, doing, uh, you know, web VR um, and trying to create a virtual world that people can port their NFTs into um, and, and show them off. And I, I agree with you on traction, but there, you know, v VR chat uh, on Oculus is, I think, the, the, the most widely used uh, app right now in terms of MAUs, right? And it's yep. it's not a crazy number, but people are hanging out in there and engaging. All you'll see that in all communities, right? We see it with the Mavericks on Mavs chat, right, or in our app. Yeah. You're going to get some number of people who just this is my space, right? Yep. And then they take ownership of it and they come back because there's truly a sense of community, whether it's 2D, 3D, VR, whatever it is. And then it's hard to grow from there. Mm -hmm. And when it starts to grow. The originals, you know, that were their core that got you going, get mad because of all the newbies coming in trying to change the community. And so there, yeah. there's a lot of, of issues that that are kind of common across all communities that that are created. Um, again, not to say it won't work, but it, it's going to take some time. But in terms of using virtual <clears throat> collecting virtual goods or stuff. Like I, I gave an interview yesterday on a sports station and um, we we're talking Mavs and talking about collecting cards. You know, I've got cards that I bought and collect with my son. And, you know, I grew up in Pittsburgh. So the old ABA John Brisker card. And you know, I got, I got, a, I got a hero right here. There you go, baby. You know, and if you collected cards at all, here's, you know, here's my Luca, you know, nice. 77. But if you, when you collect cards, you know that there's a hassle that's through the roof, yeah. right? If you want to, if you want to collect enough cards, you got to deal with storage. You got to deal with you know, the the keeping the quality of it, keep it from getting damaged. Um, you got to get it graded if you really want to worry about value, and that's very subjective. And then if you want to price it, you've got to potentially put it up there in the marketplace, and then you've got to physically ship it. And then there's dealing with there's so many. It's a horrible. It's a horrible UX. If you want to just you know, I, I like Tyler Hero, right? I just want to bet on him and get exposure to him, and it's not. Yeah, and that's why that's why Top Shots is good. Yeah, yeah. Because the moments, once you realize that it's just like you like you said, if you're if, if you're past the touch and feel, I mean, you know, I love Luca, but I can't remember the last time I sat here like this. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. That just doesn't happen. Yeah. And I, I think about it all the time. Oh shit, I got these in this drawer. This is gonna get messed up really damn fast if you know something goes wrong here. Whereas I have none of those hassles. I have the sense of ownership that you talk about with the with a moment or other sports related NFTs with zero of the hassles. Plus, plus other than the transaction cost, you know, I can buy it in a second. I could price it in a second. I could offer it for bids and put it on the marketplace and sell or not sell. I can sell it. I mean, it's just like that, you know, again, setting aside the transaction fees, which are crazy. And, you know, and, that is so much better. And it's harder for someone my age to recognize that because, you know, we grow up physical, touch things, you know, but digital natives, you know, yeah. crypto natives, this is better. Yeah. And they're right. And as more and more people start to realize that those values are going up. Now, you know, Flow and, and Top Shot, they've got issues just because of scaling. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know that it's purely scaling because it's not like they have millions of users on there at any one time. Yep. You know, 
So just trying to build a blockchain app that all of a sudden, you know, most blockchain apps, you, you've got time to get to grow with it, right? You don't get that immediate rush. And you tell yourself, well, that's a good problem to have and I'll deal with it when it happens. But then when it happens, you know, whether you're Robinhood, not that that's blockchain or, you know, um, Flow and Dapper and, and Topshop, then you've got your challenges. Yep, for sure. All right, man, we're a little uh, past time. I really appreciate you. appreciate you, you know, spending time with us. I hope fun. people enjoyed it. There were a bunch I of questions. You, did I? I surprised you by digging in like this all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah, no, it was good. It was good timing. Um, I think you hadn't been paying attention much for a while, right? So well, I paid attention, right? But there was no inflection point. Yeah, there was nothing, right? Because like you and I talked, Bitcoin's not a currency. I mean, what do you think? Are any of these going to be currency? Uh, I, I believe that, yeah, there's a chance that, um, you know, Bitcoin or ETH or some cryptocurrency becomes, you know, the reserve currency of, of the world. I, I do believe that. Of the world, that'd be tough. Wars, wars will be fought first, right? I think, now, I, think, uh, I think countries starting to buy probably Bitcoin first and then is, is likely. I mean, it starts with companies. I do think it's going to be increasingly relevant in kind of geopolitics. We'll know when you see when you see countries selling their gold reserves, you know, because most countries have them. And, you know, I think it's crazy that we keep gold reserves because they're useless, but it's just the way things have always been done. So when you see countries start to sell part of their gold reserve, that's when you'll know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's when they'll know they're afraid. Now yeah. they're still trying to figure it out. And yeah. now it's still relatively small. And, you know, again, going back to the early days of the internet, government freaked out yep. freaked out because they lost control of a lot of things and then they stopped freaking out because it came became normalized yep. and crypto will have the same thing the biggest challenge i think short term that will have to be addressed and i don't think it's going to be a currency because we'll get you know we'll get sovereign digital currencies before bitcoin becomes done now obviously there'll be a conversion at some point somehow you think but, people, um, but people i don't i think people are past the point of trusting you know, small groups of people to control, uh, you know, a money supply. I don't know. That's yeah, that they're still going to have taxes, right? And you're still going to have to deal with taxes and that's going to change the rules. And if the minute we don't have taxes, we have bigger problems than, and, than Bitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. um, and not that I like to be taxed. I don't, but, you know, you still got to pay the bills for a lot of people that need help and roads, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, as long as as long as the government entity controls taxing, they can control what they value. They can um, still they can still get their tax in, in a cryptocurrency, right? Yeah, well, yeah, but that's what I'm saying, right? Digital currency is whether it's a physical dollar bill or a digital representation of it, it doesn't matter because 99% of the currency that's dealt with in this country and most of the world is digital anyways. Mm -hmm. You know, it's going from my bank to your bank to their bank to whatever. Um, so it's not it's not whether it's digital or not. It's whether it's Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash or Litecoin or Ethereum or you pick one USDC or, you know, Dow or whatever. Right. And um, that's going to be the question. I just don't see that. Yeah. I think it would be a great store of value. I think it's going to be a foundation for that is just going to tear apart, tear apart banking. I think it'll turn it upside down over the next 10 years. Yeah. Let's see. It should be a, should be a fun be run. Fun run, right? It'll be a fun run. I appreciate it, Nick, as always. I really enjoyed yeah, it. Was it was fun. It was fun. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, everybody. All right.